Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek podcast where we talk about marketing, media, technology, and pop culture because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative and innovation editor with Adweek. And I'm Ko Im. I'm the community editor at Adweek. And we have a special guest back. She was back just again last week, but we have Terry Stanley. Hi, Terry. Can't get rid of me. <laughs> You've got all Hello. the cool. You do too much great work. Yeah. Fantastic to be here. Thank you. Uh, for those, uh, for the regular listeners, you'll you'll have got last week, all the way back to the last episode, when we had Terry on to talk about cannabis and psychedelics and legalization efforts on the uh, ballots uh, last uh, last few weeks. And uh, today we're talking about one of your other core beats, uh, the plant-based food, I guess food, we used to call it plant-based meat. And now it's like plant-based everything, right? It's like, tell me just some of the plant-based things you've written about like in terms of products that are starting to blow up beyond like the fake burgers? Well, because we have been so um, aggressive in covering plant-based protein, aka fake meat, um, we've started to get a lot of information coming in to us from various sources, like research firms and brands themselves and retailers about other plant-based um, areas that have grown exponentially during lockdown. So everything from fake eggs to fake cheese, uh, we're all over the place now. So it's, it's, fa- it's plant-based products or plant-based food instead and, of just meat. Yeah. And I think uh, isn't, I mean, plant-based milk is obviously an old school one, but isn't impossible now, like trying to come up with the impossible burger of milks. <laughs> Indeed. And I bet um, it, it won't be long before we'll see plenty of other companies doing that too. And I just noticed um, one of the uh, major grocery chains, Kroger, which is also Ralph's out here on the West Coast, they're on their private label side. They are starting to do lots of plant-based stuff. So it could be anything from um, oat milk, almond milk, to frozen food. To They're, they're all over it. 
Wow, that sounds really uh, premium, the private label plant product. <laughs> well, they look, they, they are um, priced pretty well and they look great. The packaging is good. So if you had something side by side, like a, a branded almond milk and then a private label, you might buy the private label because it, it looks just as fancy as the perhaps higher priced brand. Yeah, I think I buy the uh, Publix almond milk, like the store brand almond milk, because uh, it's it's fine. It's good. I mean, it's not my absolute favorite, but like, yeah, it's like half the price uh, of some of the other ones. Um, well, I should hint, too, because I, I like to set stage. We're also going to have Terry talk about her cover story uh, for our um, – most Powerful Women in Sports, our annual issue. We've got an event coming up, uh, and we have Naomi Osaka, which I can't wait to uh, hear more about. But first, we're going to, well, because there's been a lot going on in the plant-based world. But before we get to the topic that I'm absolutely dying to talk to you two about, I wanted to set the table, so to speak, by talking about where each of us stands in terms of what plant-based things you're actually into. Uh, Co, like what's your, you know, what is your plant-based diet uh, uh, like which things have you replaced with plant-based stuff um well i am kind of basic in terms of you know the plant-based milk alternatives like what's your what's what's your milk like what i type? just try i just got the trader joe's blueberry lavender oat milk i think uh or almond milk rather and i'm curious to try that um, cause, because I saw it on TikTok, of course. Um, but other than that, you know, um, I will hint that I do like plant-based meat alternatives just as an alternative. Um, I'm not vegetarian or vegan. Some might call you flexitarian, right? Terry, isn't that the, the hot trend? Indeed. And so am I, because I am from the South originally. I still love meat. It's a big contradiction in my life because I'm such an animal lover and an animal fan. So how can I justify still eating meat? And yet I do because it's delicious. But um, I love, I really love impossible burgers. So I will, I, I eat those. Um, and I do as, as well that you mentioned the Trader Joe's brand. I like some of the Trader Joe's brands. They're, they're um, doing a pretty good job on things like veggie burgers or garden burgers that are quite tasty. I'll try most anything. And I have tried a number of the brands that are getting sort of popular right now, like Ozo and Lightlife and Gardein. Um, Dr. Prager is pretty much a staple in my freezer because those are easy. Now those products very much are in the veggie realm. They are not trying to be a meat burger um, but I do like Impossible on the ones that are trying to be meat burgers. Yeah, I like Prager when I'm not like looking for the burger experience, right? It's like it's like when you used to order the vegetarian burger option at a at a pub or whatever. That's like what you would get. You'd get like the the black bean or the chunks of veggie in there. Um, but I'm a sucker for the and I, and it's funny because I see people still saying like, why do Impossible and Beyond like why do they want to be like meat? You know, and you see people say. If you want to eat a burger, just eat a burger. And if you want to be vegetarian, just be vegetarian. And like I, I want a burger. Like I like burgers. I have, I, I love them. I've been eating them my whole life. But I stopped eating beef like a year ago, year and a half ago. And um, and yeah, I and honestly, I don't think I would have been able to do that if I hadn't had so many easy 
alternatives. Like turkey burgers are fine. You know, there's a few others, but like those, I I, I put back some uh, Beyond Burgers. Like I eat I eat a lot of that, and and I get the Impossible Whopper when I'm out. Uh, which leads us to, of course, the topic of the week, uh, Mick Plant. You hate it. <laughs> I hate it. You hate the name. <laughs> I hate it. I think it's the worst name. Um, it's, I like it's... it. <laughs> do you? Okay, then you get to, you I get do. to go first. It makes first, sense. Though. Big Mac, you know, filet fish Mick Plant. I mean, you know, it's it's on brand. It's It's simple. You know what you get in. You know, but like, but think about okay, all the the examples you just gave. So, so you've got right. You think of the core. McDonald's likes to think that all it does is put Mick in front of stuff. But you think about it, it's like most don't. You got Big Mac. You got fillet of fish. It's not called like Mick fillet or whatever. It's not called Mick Big. And then you've got Quarter Pounder. It's not called Mick Quarter. Um, so yeah, they they could have they could have done something. So so I mean, they I could have done Quarter Planter. <laughs> Oh, that's really good. Oh, go, that's good. That's uh um yeah, like so so I mean obviously for the context people can look up Terry's coverage of the Mick plant um on, on adweek.com. Uh but you may have seen this as McDonald's. I mean, this is a big moment, right, Terry? This is the moment that many of us kind of watching this space have been waiting for is like it's one thing for Burger King to have an impossible whopper, but McDonald's is operating on a different level. Um, I, yes, it is. It's huge. So everyone in the plant-based world, the advocates, the, the experts, the analysts, they are thrilled. They don't care what it's called. It could be called XYZ. They couldn't possibly care less. But um, I think there's something worth pointing out here. The Impossible Whopper. Burger King has put its most precious brand the Whopper. It is the home of the Whopper. They are putting that side by side with Impossible. That tells you how much importance they put on that product. So it is a co-branded product. Same is true for the Beyond products at somewhere like Carl's Jr. The name is there in both. You know, in, in the both names is what I'm trying to say. Both names are there. So um, I think it's significant that McDonald's did not include Beyond in that name. So, and I think it's also significant they didn't bother to mention that they were (laughs) that they were yeah that they were sourcing that from Beyond as a as a partner or a collaborator. It also really flies in the face of the prevailing marketing to flexitarians like all of us. Um, we, we don't necessarily want to be sold a plant burger. We want, we want, I want an impossible Whopper. I want the Whopper. So, because I am, I'm also a meat eater. Um, it, it's very different. I, I think it's timid. I think it's tentative. I, I don't think it's uh, enough of a vote of confidence for this category, although you could argue they're doing it. So that is a vote of confidence. It, it's got this weird like yeah. outs, outsider yeah, vibe. Yeah, I would argue the opposite. D- please argue the opposite. I, I would argue the the, <laughs> uh, the opposite in terms of, you know, it, it's them showing ownership of the this new emerging category and option and, you know, um, 
And they're almost putting more emphasis on it by calling it McPlant and because um, it's so, so obvious, um, at least to me. But what do you think, David? Yeah, I, you know, my uh, suggestion, which I am loath to make, even as a former copywriter, I am loath to make suggestions because I know how hard it is to come up with a product name. But like I threw out the idea on Twitter of McBetter. Right. Like the better for the planet, better for you. And some people push back and said, no, I don't think they would ever acknowledge that something is better or worse. But I don't know. I mean, I think you could it just goes to show you could have you could be a little more obtuse with the reference, because, again, it's like to Terry's point, none of us here is just like, man, I want to eat more plant. Like, I just want to eat less meat. Right. Those are two different things. I don't necessarily care. It's like Terry had uh, the folks behind the fake egg uh, send me some of the some of the product. And it's good. It's good. But like you have to really dig into the ingredients to find out it's you know, it's what it's mung beans. Right. It's sprouts that they made it from. Um, But I didn't care. I was just like, oh, cool. A non a non-animal egg. I, I did not care at all what it was made from. And I know some people get into the whole Frankenfood thing of like, oh, these are factory, f- or, you know, these are lab foods. Man, I, I do not care. If it means like not having to grow cattle and like I'm not even anti-beef because of the animal sensitivities. I just think it's a huge waste of water and a huge waste of land. And I think it's hurting the rainforest for me. It's a very like socio-political issue. And if I can do my small part, you know, to not support that, an industry that I think is very damaging to the earth. And so I don't really care. I don't care that it's a plant. I'm not like, hmm, more plants. Same. No, I I have all those considerations. Um, Research is showing what consumers care about here. They, they, They say they're interested in, you know, health considerations. They have sustainability considerations, but they're top reason or motivator for buying is taste. They want something that tastes good. And many cases, they want something that tastes like the meat they might be eating. Uh, These are really not products that are generally uh, targeted at vegans or vegetarians. Yeah. Generally not. Yeah. And a lot of them have developed a completely different palate, a completely different diet. Like, you know, the people I know who have been lifelong vegetarians, like if you're a Jane or, you know, if you came up through a a cultural religion where you just didn't eat meat, they have very different diets than we do because they're not eating hamburgers every day. Um, But for those of us who did eat hamburgers for decades, like this is the kind of product that helps. Now, the other big announcement, um, and I, I think some folks may be so kind of used to hearing about these plant-based things that you and I were a little more sensitive to why this one was such a big deal, but uh, Pizza Hut, right, became, are, are they the first national pizza chain to really get serious about carrying plant-based meat? Yes. Little Caesars did a test in several markets with Impossible last year, but um, they haven't they haven't renewed that relationship Um Although Little Caesars is a national chain, they didn't roll it out nationally. They tested it, which most people do before they roll out uh, chain-wide. But yeah, this is a big deal for Pizza Hut. Yum Brands has been very aggressive on the KFC side uh, with, um, with Beyond's fake chicken. But this is the first 
big pizza chain. And I think the researchers had already talked about this last year, kind of beyond just the core burger, that this was um, in trying to say that this is a very adaptable kind of product that Mexican chains started um, started working with it and adopting it. Um, it, it was going beyond just breakfast chains, breakfast sandwiches and sausage and stuff like that with the fake sausage product. So it's gone beyond just the burgers, just beyond the fast food that you would expect into fully other kind of categories of fast food. And speaking of going beyond, I think it's literally called the Beyond Italian Sausage Pizza. And then my personal favorite of all the brand names, man, talk about if McPlant is the worst brand name to me, my new favorite is the Great Beyond. Is there is there like deluxe pizza? That is such a good name. And I mean, what a coup for Beyond, right? That like... Because it's not called the Great Pizza Hut Beyond or whatever. I'm just like, man, the, I am so... Full disclosure, uh, as Terry knows, I'm very excited about this. I am trying the Great Beyond in just a few hours after we record this. So sadly, I have not tried it. Uh, but, you know, this has also been a fascinating test to me as I'm in Birmingham, Alabama, which, well, despite being a you know a very enlightened uh, city, especially in the South, it is not the necessarily the first place that gets access to new menu items, right? Like a lot of times that stuff gets rolled out in mega cities or in just in California. Uh, but man, as soon as they announced this one, it was available at Pizza Hut in, uh, you know, in Birmingham. Not all of them. They, a lot of Pizza Huts, I didn't realize this until recently, have converted to this kind of like, uh, what do they call it? Pizza Hut Express, where it's basically you just grab a pizza and go. It's almost, it's almost like the ones at, uh, like museums or whatever that you see where it's just, or airport, you know. Um, they don't have it, but the, like the legit Pizza Huts, I guess, all have it. So I have to go a little farther than my closest one to get it. But I'm stoked because I I've tried some of the sausage. Who who makes the one at Starbucks? The 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 fake sausage. That's impossible. That one's good. I'm, I'm I'm a fan. So are there what are are there any big benchmarks left? So obviously McDonald's is the one I feel like we've talked about the most. What else is out there in terms of like the big tipping points that will make this thing go mainstream? Where's Taco Bell? Mm. Really Taco good. Bell has a, a veggie-friendly section of their menu, but I keep waiting for them to make the decision. Yeah, their beans have probably they've probably coasted on those beans for a long time, uh, because I know I know for uh, vegetarians that's like the Taco Bell bean bean burrito was like the only safe go-to for a long time. Um, but yeah, that's it. You even you even have chains um, out. They're not just a California chain; they were California born, but El Pollo Loco. When you even have chains like that built their entire brand on chicken, now they have fake chicken. So you can get a pollo-less pollo taco or a bowl. Um, they're sourcing it themselves. They didn't go to the, uh, the big sourcing um, companies for that, but everyone's doing it. They should just make a sister brand, La Planta Loca. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna edit that part out so that we can we can launch that, get in under the radar. Oh yeah, sorry. Three of us you didn't are gonna hear anything. <laughs> we're gonna split off. Um, yeah. It, the uh, do y'all remember like a a few years ago? I mean, I know this goes back a while, but like when people were seriously talking about uh, using bugs as protein. Do you remember? Like, I feel like that was maybe two three years ago. Like grinding up crickets into 
into protein powder. Terry, I never had much hope for that one in terms of Americans at least getting on board. Um, and and you probably are still correct in that because there's just too there's too much baggage for that, right? There's just in other parts of the world, it's it's probably just fine. I think here, um, no people will. I believe they would accept lab, fully lab grown food before they would accept bugs and insects as a category of protein. I I would like if you told me we made this meat meat out of like beakers and test tubes i'd be like that sounds better than ground up crickets and to be clear i will eat anything like i I really i'm not grossed out by anything but it's like you know i i get the environmental arguments right like if you read up on like the the ground up crickets it's like it uses it generates the same amount of protein as beef like with one one millionth of the water or whatever and i'm like that's cool like if we ever go to mars Hell yeah, let's grow some crickets, right? But for now, or I don't know, but by then apparently we'll be like 3D printing meat <laughs> at the rate we're going. Yeah. We'll that... also edit that out so we can make 3D printed meat. <laughs> 3D printed meat <laughs> from La Planta logo. Um, the uh, Okay, so well, thank you. That was our uh, our, our plant-based minute. Uh, and we'll, we, there's more. There's more coming that we can't even talk about yet. That there's news coming uh, very soon. So keep an eye on adweek.com and on uh, Terry's coverage. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we're back, we're going to talk about uh, Adweek's annual uh, Most Powerful Women in Sports and Naomi Osaka. Be right back. And welcome back. We are still with Terry Stanley, who wrote our cover story for our issue this week on the most powerful women in sports. Uh, this coincides with our sports marketing summit that is happening this week by the time this episode airs. And um, Terry, I loved uh, what you wrote as part of Miss um, Osaka's uh, meteoric rise and gut checking endorsements and um really her, her, her rise with her social activism. Um, what was it like to kind of dig into her narrative and, and, you know, speak with her? Um, I, I sort of um, consider her a bit of a quiet storm. She, she describes herself as shy. She says she's cripplingly shy and she talks about that quite a bit. Um, but I don't really see her that way. I see her more as um, very thoughtful, very pensive. I don't believe she um, she does anything without fully considering it before she does it. And it's been really fascinating to watch her activism bloom. And I think something really uh, that struck me when um, we're talking back in the late summer, when um, the boycotts started to happen with the NBA and the NFL, um, it's one thing to be part of a giant organization like that, and you boycott and you're surrounded by teammates. She boycotted and it was just her, just her, all by herself out there saying, this is how I feel and I'm not playing. And that took so much guts (laughs) 
that was just stunning to me. She's She was 22 at the time. She just turned 23. The kind of strength and poise that you would need to do that, to just stand up tall and say, nope, not doing it. That That took so much guts. Do you think that's something that, you know, something that let's say her role model, Serena Williams, could have and would have done, you know, especially when you're a three-time Grand Slam champion and you have endorsement deals and and whatnot. Um, That was really risky for her, but it also, you know, to your point, really does reflect her personality, her her poise, and um, in essence, her generation. Absolutely. Good points. I think not only does she look at people like Serena as role models, but she was very close with Kobe Bryant. And I think um, he had a lot of influence on her on a business level. Um, He was very much, um, I think she asked him a lot of a lot of questions about how he put his businesses together and how he conducted his life in the spotlight and things like that. And um, would Kobe have boycotted? Of course. So yeah, I think she certainly did draw from those people that she has very much admired how they've handled both the personal and the professional. What I think is fascinating about Naomi Osaka is how you know, you think back just a few years to Colin Kaepernick and to the idea that athletes were generally considered less marketable when they got uh, political or, or when they had, a, a, you know, kind of an activist side to them in the public eye. And now I feel like it is mentioned in the same breath every time someone talks about how she she is famously kind of the most marketable athlete uh, on earth right now. Uh, she she set some crazy records for you know how much how much she drew in through endorsements and sponsorships in 2020, um, but uh, but yeah I mean I feel like it's fascinating that just in a few years that's gone from being something that was considered bad for athletes to being like a core part of what makes her so marketable. Well, it, it ruined Cap's career. He gave up his career for this, for what he wanted to say, and. It, this, the acceleration has has been amazing about, I mean, it's very sad that the reason why we're here because of what we've seen happen over the last several years, um, things that we can't unsee. And that's what has spurred, I think, even more activism from professional athletes and, and many others. But um, she probably could have been risking some of her partnerships, but now I think as this sort of next gen marketing magnet, um, maybe less so than ever in the past. If this had been five years ago, no, absolutely not. That it would, I mean, I'm sure her, her manager agent would have been having an aneurysm, but he wasn't because well, it's 2020. And and that that gets to what I want. I was really curious to ask you about is, you know, you've worked on this franchise. You know, our coverage of the most powerful women in sports for several years now. I feel like that definition of what that means to be the most powerful woman in sports has changed so dramatically from when we started this. And I feel like activism. You think about if you were to name the women that you consider and that we have featured as being the most powerful. You know, it's like you think about Megan Rapinoe and you think about these. They're all like activism is a core part 
of, you know, with, there's still some exceptions, you know, you've got your, I mean, you've still got like your, you know, powerful executives in sports like Stephanie McMahon and the WWE, but, but I feel like now, like we can't have this conversation anymore without activism being kind of a central pillar of it. That I don't, I don't believe that was part of the first few years. Yeah. We've been doing this franchise and I, I was there at the very beginning <laughs> and, um, yeah, it, it was not part of the discussion then because it wasn't really part of those athletes' public lives. Now it's become, um, you know, part of the the brand values even more, right? I mean, speaking of WWE, Terry, next uh, you're going to be speaking with WWE and UNICEF for the Brand Week Sports Marketing Summit. I mean, what are the kind of the themes that are kind of emerging um, in, in the industry uh, with women in charge. I think you're you're absolutely right that a brand considers activism very much a benefit. It's um and maybe we could look at it this way. If if a brand links with an athlete like Naomi Osaka, they realize that she's going to do some of that heavy lift for them. So they're going to get that halo effect. But then again, they must walk the walk as well because she's not going to work with them unless she's convinced that they are, they are being authentic and they're that, that really represents who they are and their values as well, because she's not going to do all the work for you. You can't just hire someone who is high profile in activism and expect them to sort of carry it all. You'll have to back it up as well. Yeah, I, I guess my skeptical or my cynical side sees a certain kind of opportunism in having uh, to having endorsers, having celebrity endorsers who have this kind of progressive activism side to their lives. Because I think sometimes brands can say, look, we endorse this person. Now, we're not out there on the front lines, but look, we endorse this person. But then at the same time, they can very easily stop endorsing that person. <laughs> you know, And so it's like we used to see that a lot more often of how quickly brands would walk away from athletes. Um, but I feel like now they do appreciate it. Um, but at the same time, part of me is always just like, well, the, it is certainly easier to partner with an athlete who's already out there doing the good work. And, and I don't think that's bad. I just think it's like it's like the halfway step of being an activist brand is to just support, you know, activist endorsers. But, hey, I'll take what I can get. I think. <laughs> right. And, and we we have to trust, perhaps, that that athlete is going to be so correct in their, in their business, that they're making sure that the brand is doing things. Maybe, maybe those things aren't as high profile as a, as someone who's, um, at the top of their game as a, as a professional athlete, they may be, the brand may be doing things that are slightly under the radar, but they better be doing those things. Well, uh, unfortunately we are out of time, but Terry Stanley, thanks so much for coming back two weeks in a row. What a treat. We'll, uh, we'll find a good excuse to drag you back here pretty soon. Uh, if you have strong thoughts on holiday ads, we'll have... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have thoughts on everything. Yeah, I, have all, I have all the thoughts. 
This is why we're going into business together with our our 3D uh, printed Mexican plant based uh, restaurant chain. Don't tell anyone. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, it's still too secret. All right, uh, thank you so much, Terry. Thank you, Co. Always a pleasure, uh, and uh, we will we will definitely have find a good reason to have Terry back. And uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's keep an eye, keep an eye on plant based and and cannabis. It seems like everything Terry covers is on fire these days. Uh, well, like I said, we are out of time. Our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by Co. M and edited by Lane McGivney. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on Apple. Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. You can reach us anytime at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we will be back next week. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.